verse 4. Special thank you to Brother Sonny for doing the slides for us today. I put him on the spot. He had no preparation. I said, would you do it? And he said, yes. So thank you for doing that for us this morning. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. We'll be looking at the second half of this passage. <coughs> Probably next week. Y'all be prepared. We're going we're gonna to cover three whole verses, I think, next week. So be ready for that. But this week we're going to finish up verse 4. The, I guess the good thing about, about going through verses you know, slowly like this is that we can really you know, look at different parts and aspects of these things and spend a lot of time on them. However, I guess the disadvantage to that is sometimes you can lose the context of the, of the passage by by taking too much time on a passage. And so just a brief recap of, of, of what we're talking about up to this point in the book of Hebrews. The audience that's receiving this letter is in danger of turning away from Jesus Christ. They appear to be Jewish Christians who had come to faith in Jesus Christ and had been following Jesus Christ, and now they are tempted to turn back to their old ways, the old sacrificial system, the old priesthood. Now, at the time of writing, those things would still have been going on. There still would have been a temple. There still would have been a priesthood. There still would have been sacrifices. That continued until about 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. But even before the temple was destroyed, it was clear that those things were done because when Jesus was crucified, God himself tore the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And so that system had already been abolished through Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. However, this audience was being tempted through persecution to go back to what they were familiar with, to go back to their old ways. And so the book is being written to say, don't do it. Don't turn from Jesus. And in the first three verses that we've looked at, we have seen this main point, and that is Jesus is better. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who we need to focus on and who we need to seek and who we need to trust and who we need to put our faith in. And so we see this beautiful introduction to who Jesus is, and we've looked at that over the last few weeks in the book of Hebrews. And then last week we only took a little bit of verse 4, and that is that Jesus is better. Now, what we see a lot in this first chapter and in chapter 2 is there is a lot of focus about angels. So in the context of verse 4 and in the verses that follows, there's going to be this focus about angels. We're not going to talk about angels today. You may think, well, I've forgotten, forgotten that or skipped over that. Nope, we're going to get to that. But since so much time is, is going to be devoted to angels, we're going to cover some, some sermons on angels in the weeks to come. And so we're not going to be talking necessarily so much about the context of what is being said in verse 4 today either. Now, we looked at the first part of verse 4, and that is Jesus is better. In the context here, Jesus is better than the angels. This is one of many things that it says Jesus is better than in the book of Hebrews. And Jesus is better than anything you can think of. You say Jesus is better, and whatever you put behind there 
is the correct answer. Jesus is better than anything we can think of. So in the context of verse 4, Jesus is better than the angels. Uh, And we're not going to talk about those angels today, but I promise you we're going to get to them probably next week. We're going to talk about those angels. But we're still talking about Jesus. Our, our, Our primary focus over the last two months has been about Jesus because that's the core of this book. That's the core of our life. That's the core of our strength. That's the core of our hope. That's the core of our deliverance. It is in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And so that's why we're spending so much time on these verses. We're really trying to establish who Jesus is and make sure that we know who Jesus is. They may be things that in these verses that we have heard before, but sometimes we even need to be reminded of the things that we know. And we need to make sure that Jesus is better in our life. And maybe we need to worship Jesus better than we have. And so that's what we're going to continue on talking about today is, is keeping Jesus at the center of this introduction, if we can still call it that at this point in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, I forgot my glasses. I dug around and I found these broke glasses. So if you think I'm crazy this morning with a one-leg pair of glasses, I'm not crazy, but I'll do the best I can. And so Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. So he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word and I pray God that you would hide me behind the cross, that I would preach and teach your word in a way that brings glory and honor to you, dear Lord. We come here today and I don't, I don't want us to have wasted our time, God, but I want us to come here and to find you, dear Lord. Maybe we came here for other reasons. Maybe we came here just because it was something to do. Maybe we came here because somebody made us come here, dear Lord. But I pray God, whatever brought us here, that we would meet you while we are here, dear Lord. So I pray that you'd free me from distractions and the worries and the stresses of this world, that you do the same for each one in this room, and that, God, everything that is done is for your glory. I pray that you take away my pride and my fear and help the words that come from my mouth today be words that you want each one of us to hear. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, having become so much better than the angels. Now, the translation I just read from said higher in rank, but that word when typically translated from from the Greek into English is better. And most of your translations will say better, and you will see that word consistently throughout the book of Hebrews. Jesus has become better. Become better than what? He's become better in this case, leading up to what the, the author is about to tell us about. He's become better than the angels. And then it says in the second part of the verse, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Now, what we're preparing for is the author is going to tell us, his audience and us as well, that Jesus is better than the angels. But what does he say here? That Jesus has inherited a name that is superior to theirs. And so today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the name of Jesus. Now, we know the name of Jesus. I would venture to say that probably everybody in this room this morning before you came here, you knew the name of Jesus. If I were to ask you who Jesus is, many, if not all of you, could tell me Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. We may all have lots of words that we would use to describe who Jesus is. But it says here that the name Jesus inherited is better than that 
of the angels. And so when we, when we pray even, we pray what? In Jesus' name. And so the idea of the name of Jesus or praying in the name of Jesus or there being power in the name of Jesus is an idea that may be familiar to many of us or maybe even all of us. But what does it mean that he inherited a name that is superior? Well, we inherit our name from our parents. Uh, Jesus here is the Son of God. I believe that that is the point as we read through the book of Hebrews in the context that the author here is trying to make, that Jesus is the Son of God, that that is the name he has inherited. It's not so much speaking of J-E-S-U-S, those letters that we form to make the name Jesus and the pronunciation that we use of it, but I think he's talking of something bigger here. The name that Jesus is inherited is one of Son, and we see that in the first three verses that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has inherited a better name. That is, he is better than the angels because of who he is. Who is he? He is a Son of God. And so the name we inherit makes a difference. And so the name that Jesus has inherited, being a Son of God, makes a difference. Even for us, we see names. And, and, and there are some names that when you hear those names, they represent something good. They think about something good. You hear, oh, so-and-so, and oh, so-and-so. Oh, and you say something like, that's a good family. Oh, that's a good family. Those are good people. Why? Because they've made a good name for themselves. And when you make a good name for yourself and you bring a child into this world, it's not like you sit there and you think, what are we going to make their last name? No, you know what their last name's going to be. It's going to be the name that they inherit from you. And so Jesus inherited a better name, not so much a first and a last name as he did the name of being the Son of God. Now, Jesus certainly had a first and a last name. Uh, I don't know what his last name would have been. Perhaps we may sometimes think Jesus Christ, but Christ was his title, not so much his name. Uh, perhaps his last name would have been Jesus Bar Joseph or something like that, uh, since that was who his father was, and we see that type of language in the scripture. Regardless of what Jesus' last name is, is really irrelevant. We know that his name was Jesus. And Jesus comes from the Hebrew word of Joshua. Now, if you read the book of Joshua, the same name for that person, Joshua, is where the name Jesus comes from. The name Yeshua, that was, that's what it would be in the Hebrew, Yeshua. And so that would have been, I guess if we want to be pretty technical about what Jesus' name would have been in those days, it was Yeshua. Now, we pronounce it differently because we speak English, and we pronounce it as Jesus. And a beautiful name it is. But why is the name of Jesus beautiful to us? Well, it's not beautiful to us because there's something special about those letters. And we put those letters in just the right order. And it's a beautiful name. In fact, it is a beautiful name. But it's not so much about the sound of the name. It's about what the name of Jesus represents. It represents who Jesus is. Now, the name Joshua means deliverer, to save or to rescue. And that's what the name Jesus means. And oftentimes in Scripture we see that someone has given a name and we see what the meaning of that name is. Names are very significant in Scripture. And the name of Jesus is no different. The name of Jesus is extremely significant because it tells us 
who He is. He is the one who is our deliverer. He is the one who has come to save us. He is the one who is our Savior. And the Christ that, uh, that we see often placed after the name Jesus describes who He is. He's Jesus the Christ, which comes from the Hebrew word that we pronounce as Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Deliverer. He is the Savior. And so when we speak of the name of Jesus... We're not just talking about a name that's beautiful in and of itself. We're talking about a name and what it represents. And the name of Jesus represents Jesus who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Now in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, For this reason, a little context there, for what reason? For the reason that Jesus was obedient to the Father, to do the will of the Father. He was obedient all the way to death on the cross, to do what God had called him to do from beginning to end. And for this reason, Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 tells us, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow those who are in heaven and on earth and under the heaven. And so God was pleased with Jesus again and again. We see that idea here in Philippians, that for the reason that Jesus Christ was obedient to God, it pleased God. God highly exalted him. God gave him a name that was above all names. Not so much necessarily the name Jesus, but the name of what he represented, that he was the Son of God, that in his name that great things would be accomplished, that in the name of Jesus... It means the work of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the deliverance of Jesus. God was pleased to highly exalt him and give him that name that is above all names. And indeed it is because there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved than that of Jesus. We see that in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. So we see lots of scriptures uh, throughout the New Testament about the name of Jesus and the idea that God was pleased with Jesus and the work that he had done. We see it here in Philippians, but we also see it with God himself speaking throughout the life of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, as he was beginning his ministry, uh, God spoke as Jesus was baptized, and he says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And again, toward the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus was up on the mountain praying, and Elijah and Moses showed up, and the disciples that were there saw him, and they were like, Whoa, this is gnarly, this is super cool, uh, let's build some tabernacles for him. But then they disappeared, and God said, Look, Look at Jesus. This is my son who, who, of whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So this idea that God is pleased with Jesus is one that we see time and time again. And why is God pleased with Jesus? Because Jesus is an obedient son. Jesus is obedient to the will of the Father. And that's what God calls us to. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be obedient to the will of the Father. We are called to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And so it is for that reason that Philippians says that God highly exalted him and gave him a name that was above all names because of who Jesus was and because of what Jesus did in accomplishing the will of God and giving his life on a cross so that we may all be forgiven. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we recognize throughout Scripture 
on multiple occasions that the name of Jesus is powerful because of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And so it is for that reason that we sit in this room today and I tell you, Jesus is the only Savior that can save you. Jesus is the only one who can forgive you of your sins. Jesus is the only one who can give you everything that you need. Jesus is the only one who can give you peace. And Jesus is the only one who can give you eternal life and deliverance from your sins. And because Jesus is the only one that can do that, we read verses like Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we call on the name of Jesus because it is the name that is above all names. There is no other name that you can call on. Now, there are certainly people in this world that we trust, people that you do call on sometimes in this world. And many times, perhaps those people are right there for you. But the problem with calling on the names of the people around us is sometimes they let us down. Now, sometimes we are those who let others down. Maybe not unintentionally. Maybe something else came up. Maybe somebody called us and we couldn't be there for them. Whatever it may be, there are people that we call who are here for us, but there are sometimes people who, are, who we call that do not answer, that do not come to our aid. But that's where Jesus is different. It's because he is always there. He is always listening. And when we call on the name of Jesus, we will be saved. Because as Acts 4.12 says us there, tells us there is no other name under heaven by which men or women can be saved. And so we see that there is power in the name of Jesus, but we need to recognize what that power is. Now, some, uh, sadly, I believe, have taken the name of Jesus as simply some kind of magic word. That they can simply uh, speak the name of Jesus and that, that everything will be made well. Oh, well, we, well, I said the name of Jesus, so everything is okay. No, it's not, it's not just a magical word that we can speak over things. When we speak the name of Jesus, we need to speak it knowing that it represents who Jesus is and what Jesus does and what Jesus has done. And so it's not simply just, oh, we're going to say the name of Jesus. If we're not saying that with a right heart, with a heart that has faith in Jesus, then we are not going to experience the power that comes from being a faithful follower in Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, so some people have taken this verse, and as I was studying it this week, I came across a, a pastor on a website, and, and he said, look, it says it right there, anything you want, you just, you just ask it, and as long as you say name, Jesus' name at the end of it, you're going to get it. Well, that's, that's not the heart of what that passage is trying to say. If we pray in such a way, it's as though we're telling God, okay, I'm asking for this, and you have to do it because I have asked for it in Jesus' name, and your word says everything I ask, you will do. But clearly that's not exactly what Jesus means here in John chapter 14. If we say, God, I need a new car, and I ask it in Jesus' name, so you got to do it. That's not what Jesus means there. That's not to say that we, we might not need a new car. Maybe we pray, God, should it be your will, give me a new car. But the problem is, is that when we pray, we need to pray for the will of God. We need to pray that God's will would be done. And Jesus even teaches us to pray in such a way. 
we need to pray in that way. But the problem with our prayer life sometimes is we pray in a selfish way. We pray for things that are not for the good of the kingdom of God. We pray for things that are good for the kingdom of us, but that's not how God works. And so why is it then if Jesus says pray something in my name and it will be done that we pray things and at the end of that prayer we ask in Jesus' name and yet those things aren't done? Well, it may be one because we're praying for things that are beyond the will of God, that are not part of God's will. And God's not just sitting there saying, well, I don't really want to answer this prayer, but they said Jesus' name at the end, so I have to answer it. That's not the way that God works. God has a will, and he has a desire, and he has a plan. And so when we pray, we need to pray first and foremost that God's will is done. And sometimes God answers prayers. Sometimes he does answer those prayers. But sometimes he does not answer our prayers in the way that we want. Now, sometimes people may be tempted to think, well, God didn't answer that prayer, and therefore God is not a good God. But we only are seeing part of the picture. That's the problem with us. We only see part of the picture and part of what goes on in this world. But God sees the big picture. And God's ultimate goal is that as many souls can be saved, will be saved. And so for us, if we were God... How would we answer our prayers? Well, we would probably answer all of our prayers, right? Somebody's sick, oh, they're going to be healed. Somebody's going to die, oh, I'm going to make sure they don't die. And so if we think for a second, well, why didn't God heal this person? Or why did, why did God let this person die? He must not be a good God if he allowed this to happen. Then we need to stop for just a second and say, wait a minute. God's got a bigger picture. Here's a good example of that. I suspect that some of you in this room either have experienced sickness or know someone who has experienced sickness, and in that sickness, they have drawn closer to God. Now, you may say to yourself, if I was God, I would heal everybody. But what if the way that God some, sometimes reaches people is through their sickness? And it's in their sickness and it's in their pain that they seek God all the more. Is God not right if the ultimate goal is to save souls and in sickness there is a lost soul that begins to seek God and put their trust in God to be delivered for all of eternity? Is that not in the best interest of the person and of the kingdom of God? Certainly it is. And so there may be times that we see things that occur where people are, who are in sickness and we say, man, why doesn't God heal him? Why doesn't God heal her? Well, maybe God's trying to work something through their life. Perhaps you know of stories where there was somebody who themselves may have been a strong Christian man or woman, and they were in the hospital for weeks or months. Is God trying to teach them something through that? Perhaps he is, but sometimes you hear stories of people who have an impact on the doctors and the nurses. And they're able to minister to those doctors and those nurses. And the doctors and nurses put their faith in Jesus Christ through one that God has allowed to sit in a hospital for weeks or for months. Is it not worth it that God would allow such a horrible thing to occur so that more lost souls could come to him and those souls would be delivered for all of eternity? And so oftentimes when we see God acting in such a way that we don't understand, it may be that God know something we don't. In fact, God does know a lot that we don't. What if we had the power to stop death? Would we do it? If there was one that you loved that you knew they were soon to die, would you keep them from dying? Well, perhaps we would. 
But then that wouldn't really be a good solution either. Because if we had the power to stop death, what would we be left with is we'd be left with a bunch of bodies that continue to break down day after day after day after day, and you get where you can't see and you can't hear and you can't get around, but you're still alive, praise the Lord. We kept you alive. Well, that would be a horrible plan. Now, God could have certainly done that, but God knew that there was a better way. And part of that better way is death. We have to leave this old world so that we can go and be in a better place. Praise the Lord, through Jesus Christ, we can do that. We can obtain forgiveness of sins, and we can go be in that better place. And so when we pray to God, and we pray in the name of Jesus, we want to pray that God's will be done, but we also want to know that even if we have all the faith in the world, that sometimes it may not be the will of God to answer our prayer in the way in which we are asking. It sometimes may not be for the good of the kingdom of God for God to answer our prayer even if we ask it with all the faith in the world in the name of Jesus. And Jesus himself is the best example of, 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 of what this looks like. Because even in the garden, Jesus said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now, you can't tell me for one second that Jesus didn't have enough faith. Oh, his prayer wasn't answered because he didn't have enough faith. No, Jesus had all of the faith in the world. And if it would have been the will of God, and if it would have been for the good of God's kingdom, that Jesus could have been spared, and there would have been another way for salvation to come, then God would have done that. But there was no other way, and Jesus, being an obedient son, said, Father, whatever your will be, I'll do it. And that's why he willingly took the crown of thorns and the beating and the mocking and being nailed to the tree because he knew that was the will of God. And because he was an obedient servant, God was, was glad to exalt him with a name that is above all names. So when we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and our prayers are not answered, let us not question God for one second. Let us not question the power of Jesus and who he is in the name of Jesus, but let, it, let us rejoice that God's way is the better way even if we do not understand it. And let us not ever fall into the trap of thinking that somehow God has to appease all of our requests and all of our selfish desires because somehow we have said Jesus' name at the end of our prayer. We have misunderstood what Jesus has told us if that is how we view the Scripture. With that being said, there is great power in Jesus' name. And there is healing that comes. And that comes through the power that Jesus has given us through his death and his resurrection. And we see in Scripture some powerful things that occur. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus sent 70 disciples out to do his work in his, during his ministry in Luke 10, 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to your name. Now, the name of Jesus is powerful, that even when the demons are in the presence of Jesus or when the demons hear the name of Jesus, they respond to that. Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. Again, not just the word, but because of who it represented. Because when the name of Jesus was spoken, the demons knew full well who was being spoken of. They knew that it was the Son of God. They knew that he had the power of God. They knew that at a moment's notice he could, he could do what he, what he pleased with them. And so when they heard the name of Jesus, even the demons reacted in a certain way. Even still, even though 
these disciples use the name of Jesus in a powerful way, Jesus tells them a couple of verses later. He says, but don't rejoice that even the spirits submit to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So Jesus says, okay, there's certain power in my name, praise the Lord, but that's not the greatest thing. There's something bigger. There's something bigger associated with my name. There's a bigger and better future for you when you trust me and you put your faith in me and you live for me. So there's power in the name of Jesus. And we see the power in the name of Jesus, even after his death and resurrection and the work of his disciples as they go out and they continue to do these healings and these things in the communities around. We see the power of the name of Jesus. One good example for us to look at this morning is in Acts chapter 19, verses 12 through 16. Acts chapter 19, verses 12 through 16. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. Now, we know this through the scriptures, that Paul was, was a mighty apostle for Jesus Christ, and he did mighty works, and we are reminded of that here in verse 11, that, that Paul was doing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. So that even faith claws, or work aprons that had touched his skin, were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Okay, so we see the power that's associated with those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul was doing good work, and even these materials, these clothes, these work aprons, whatever it may be, people were touching these things, and they were being healed. Now, what in the world are we to make of this? I mean, was there something special about, about this cotton? I mean, were the demons saying, oh, wait a minute, here comes somebody, they're wearing cotton, we've got to stay away from them. No, that wasn't it. There was no, there was no power in the materials themselves. I don't, I don't believe just because the material touched Paul that it in some way was, 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 was glorified and had some special power. I believe that the power that we see in this verse comes from faith. That people who touched these garments probably were not healed simply because they touched a garment, but they were healed because they had faith in the one that Paul was preaching and teaching about. Because Paul was preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And he was doing mighty works in the name of Jesus Christ. And those who wanted to touch those garments and were healed were not healed, I don't believe, because of the garment. They were healed because of the message of the name of Jesus Christ that was being preached. And they believed in the Jesus that Paul was preaching. And therefore, they were healed. I believe the same is true for the woman who touched Jesus' garment. I don't know that Jesus' garment was somehow full of any miraculous power, but the power that we see of Jesus is of Jesus. And so when the woman touched the garment in Jesus, Jesus didn't say, you're healed because you touched my garment and my garment is full of power. No, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And Jesus says that time and time again for people that he heals that their faith have made them well. And so the healing that we receive, the power that we receive in the name of Jesus comes when we put a true faith in the name of Jesus. Not just a knowledge of the letters, not just being able to spell them in the right order and pronounce them in the right way, but the power in the name of Jesus comes when we have faith in the person of who Jesus is. And that name represents that person. But we can have knowledge of the name, and we can come to church, and we can say the things that we see Paul say or others say in the Bible. But without the faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have the power of Jesus Christ. And we see that as we continue this passage. Then some of the itinerant Jews, Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus 
over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. Okay, so Paul's doing these mighty works. There are people that are touching these garments that Paul has touched, and they're being healed. I believe they're being healed by their faith. Okay, other people see this. Wait a minute. Paul's preaching about this Jesus. A lot of stuff's being done. And so these people start going around preaching about the Jesus that Paul talks about, trying to do this exorcism. And isn't it interesting that this demon responds when they call on the name of the Jesus of Paul, that the demon says... I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but I don't know nothing about you, and I ain't worried about you. Now, they were calling on the name of Jesus, but what's the difference? Why did the demon not respond there in the way that other demons had in response to the presence of Jesus or the name of Jesus? Why is it that when Paul spoke against the demon that the demon would leave? Why is it that when these materials that were around Paul were around those who were sick or demon-possessed that the demons flee, but not these people who also called on the name of the Jesus of Paul? The reason was is that these people did not have faith in that Jesus. They knew the name of Jesus, but they did not know Jesus. The name of Jesus, when we speak of Jesus... It represents the power of Jesus and who he is. It's not just a magic word that we just want to say over and over and over. But when we say it, we need to know that when it says that the name of Jesus is superior to the name of angels and superior to all other names and the name above all names, we need to realize what that name of Jesus represents. And we want to put our faith in Jesus. When we say the name of Jesus, we need to realize that he is the Son of God. And it is our faith that makes us well. It is our faith that heals us. It is our faith which gives us the forgiveness that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so when it says here in the Scripture that those who call on the name of Jesus are saved, it's not just because you say, okay, Jesus, save me. It's not just about the words. It's about your heart. And when you recognize in your heart who Jesus is and you call on his name, you will be saved. And so the name of Jesus represents the person of Jesus and who Jesus is and all the aspects of who Jesus is. We see lots of good scriptures about that very topic. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel speaking here says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Again, we talked about that earlier. The name Jesus means to deliver or to save. And so here the angel comes before Joseph and he says, Look, when your wife has the son, you are to name him Jesus. So that was his name. That was Jesus' name. And it had a meaning. But yet in the Old Testament, we see other names or other titles that speak of the Messiah to come. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now wait a minute. If it says here that he's supposed to be named Emmanuel, then why did the angel come back and say name him Jesus? Why didn't he say name him Emmanuel? 
Well, Emmanuel has a meaning, and that meaning is God with us. That when this Messiah comes, when this Savior comes, it's not just going to be another prophet. It's not going to be an angel, but it's going to be God. That when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, when Jesus came onto the scene, the angel was saying here, look, he will be God with us. Us, You are to name him Emmanuel. So when we see words like this, these, these are descriptions of who Jesus is. Not, not his proper name. His proper name as we know it is Jesus. But when we see words like Emmanuel, we need to understand their meaning, God with us. And we see plenty of other names attributed to Jesus and titles attributed to Jesus as well. Uh, further on in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For a child will be born for us, a son we will be, will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, these are all descriptive titles of who Jesus is and the things that Jesus would do and the things that Jesus would accomplish. These, these were not his proper name. It's not that this passage is telling us that Jesus is going to be called Wonderful Counselor. Wouldn't that have been horrible if that would have been Jesus' name? All of the kids picking on Jesus and the, and the teacher in the classroom says, Now, y'all leave Wonderful Counselor alone. And they'd probably just say, Wonderful Counselor. Who does he think he is? No, these are not names of Jesus. These are titles. These are descriptors of who Jesus is. And he is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and the prince of peace. These describe who Jesus is. Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 3 verse 14, as in these letters to the churches, Jesus uses in chapters 2 and 3 lots of descriptive terms to describe who he is, the one that is speaking to each of these churches. And in uh, the last church that he speaks to in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 14, he says, Write to the angel of the church of Laodicea, the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the originator of God's creation, says... Here again, more descriptive titles of who Jesus is. We know the name of Jesus. We know that he is the Son of God. But time and time again, we are reminded throughout Scripture of what that name represents and why it's a name above all names because of who he is, the amen, the true and faithful witness, the originator of God's creation. And so as we look at the name of Jesus and we recognize the name of Jesus, hopefully, as we've looked through Hebrews up to this point, we recognize who Jesus is. And when we come here and when we say our prayers, yada, 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 whatever, whatever, in Jesus' name, we're not just saying it for the fun of it. We're not just ending our prayers because we're supposed to end our prayers by asking in Jesus' name. But when we actually say that, when we actually think about that, that we are thinking about, that we are recognizing, that we are praising, that we are worshiping, that we are respecting, that we are honoring, that we are giving all that we are to the one in whose name that we pray in Jesus Christ. And we need to know that when we call on that name, we will be saved if we have put our faith and trust in who he is. It's not just a magic word, oh, I came to church, I said Jesus, I said some prayer, and therefore I'm saved. We have not been saved if we have not put our faith in Jesus Christ and that name and all that it represents of who he is. And so the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent, Peter said to them, 
and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. This is what Scripture calls us to. It calls us to repent. What? In the name of Jesus Christ, that we would be baptized in that name. But it's not just the calling out of a name if our heart has not changed, if our heart is not on who Jesus is. And so when we call out to Jesus, we want to make sure that we are calling out to the Jesus of Scripture and we recognize who that Savior is. There is power in the name of Jesus, praise the Lord. We come here today and we sit in this room because there is power in the name of Jesus. We come here today because we know the world is powerless. We know the world leaves us depressed and angry and upset and bitter and just stressed and worried. But we come here today, hopefully, and realize that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is peace and that there is deliverance and there is comfort for you in the name of Jesus. Maybe you came here today and you weren't looking for that you didn't know that. I want you to know that today. I want you to call on the name of the Son of God, the one who gave his life, so that your sins could be forgiven. So we come here today as sinners. We come here today in need of a Savior. But praise the Lord, Jesus Christ is the Savior that we need. One last passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Now that's bad news. If, the, if one of those sins didn't, didn't apply to you this morning, we'll read some more scripture. You'll find one that does. The point Paul is making here is we are in bad shape. Because in our sinfulness, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And we come in here this morning, and we are sinful. And hopefully, we are ashamed of that sin. We don't like that sin. We don't want to continue in that sin. And hopefully, you come here today, and if God has spoken to you, you repent of that sin. You turn from your old way. You say, I'm tired of living by my name and my way, but today I put my faith in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus Christ, we are in big trouble. We cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot enter into God's presence for all of eternity due to our sinfulness. Now, praise the Lord, Paul did not stop there. That would be horrible. If that would have been the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, if Paul would have said, and none of these people are getting into the kingdom of heaven, we would be in bad shape. But praise the Lord, Paul did not stop there. And he says in verse 11, and some of you used to be like this. Okay, now for some of you in this room, you fall into this category. You used to be defined by these things, by these sins. Perhaps for others in this room today, you are still this. Perhaps today one of these sins that we read, or one other sin that's not listed here, is what defines who you are. But maybe today God is telling you there's something better. God wants us to be those not that live in sin, but those who repent of our sin. So that we can all say when we read this passage, this is me. I used to be this way. I used to be a sinner. Or today if you are a sinner, you say, I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I don't want to continue to live this lifestyle. Then praise the Lord, Paul says, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and by the Spirit of our God. Praise the Lord if we are sinners in this room today that we can be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. So where do you stand today? Do you stand in sin? Do you live in sin? Are you ready to repent of that sin? Then I tell you today to call on the name of Jesus Christ. Perhaps there are some in here this morning and you've already put your faith in Jesus Christ, but maybe, just maybe, in hearing these words and in thinking about all that we've read through Hebrews in the weeks before today, maybe we know Jesus better and we recognize Jesus better and we want to praise Jesus better and we want to use the name of Jesus in a better way and when we use it, we want it to come from a better heart. So let us recognize today that when we call on the name of Jesus, when we speak the name of Jesus, when we say the name of Jesus, that we recognize what we are saying and what that name represents. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your good words. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power and the strength and the comfort that we have, dear Lord, today through Jesus' death and resurrection. Dear Lord, for that reason, there is power in the name of Jesus. God, for that reason, it is a name that is above all names, that has been highly exalted above all, dear Lord. And so today, I pray that the name of Jesus would be highly exalted above any of our desires, any of our wants, any of our worries, any of the things of this world, dear Lord. I pray, God, that you would just help us to never take the name of Jesus for granted, to never let us use the name of Jesus without reverence, dear Lord. But when we call on the name of Jesus, that we are doing so with a right heart. That when we call on the name of Jesus, that we call on the name of Jesus with faith, dear Lord, not just repeating a word, but that word coming from our heart, God. I pray that when we call on the name of Jesus, when we pray in your name, dear Lord, if our prayers are not answered the way that we desire, God, that we don't question you, but we Remember that you are good in all you do and right in all you do. God, I pray that if there are any in this room today that have never called on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, that today that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they would trust who He is, that He is your Son, that He is the Deliverer and the Redeemer and the Savior and the one that takes away sins, dear Lord, and there is no other name under heaven by which sins will be forgiven and salvation will be received. So God, I pray that if there are some that do not know Jesus today, that in their heart, God, that they would call on his name. God, maybe there's some here today and they're yours and maybe there's something they're going through. God, I pray that they would call on you. I pray that you'd bless this church and take good care of us. And I pray, God, that you just bless the scriptures that we have read today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.